Islam, today is Eid, Eid al-Fitr, which is the, the feast at the end of Ramadan. As, as you may know, uh, during Ramadan, Muslims fast during the daytime. They can, they, many Muslim families will know the exact time of sunrise and sunset and have a big meal that ends just before sunrise and then another big meal right after sunset. Um, but Ramadan ended this weekend and today is the first day after Ramadan. And so it's a big festivity. It's a big celebration because it's the first time that Muslims are allowed to eat while the sun is in the sky. And so it just got me thinking about the idea of celebration and and what celebration looks like from a spiritual point of view. Um, And the first thing that occurs to me is that, at least conventionally, celebration is supposed to happen on special occasions. You know, um, certainly sports teams, for example, you know, they'll, they may celebrate a win, and especially if they have a championship, there's, there's a kind of celebration they're supposed to have. And what's interesting, it's often a very scripted sort of celebration that, that the athletes have. Um, in our own lives, you know, there's, there are, you know, public special occasions, holidays of various sorts when we're supposed to celebrate, sometimes in, in very particular kinds of ways. Um, and then there are, you know, personal special occasions, birthdays, anniversaries, this sort of thing. Um, and, and again, depending on context, depending on, you know, family in particular, there could be very scripted roles in any of these celebrations also. Um, of course, it, it raises the question if something is scripted, how much of a celebration it is, you know, this sort of thing. Um, but of course, there's also, you know, many environments where there's authentic, spontaneous celebration. And, you know, a, a celebration, it's a kind of time of, you might say, heightened awareness um, of uh, a kind of uh, treasuring the, the special aspect of the day. Um, you know, and often there's, you know, this whole expectation of people bringing their best and putting on extra effort. And of course, some people get very excited to do that and other people find that oppressive and it's part of what they find oppressive about holidays, you know, this sort of thing. And so one of the things that intrigues me about this is simply the idea of special in this word special. And it, the word always just utterly fascinates me. Um, it's a word that can have such powerful um, emotional connotations. I mean, it can be a tender compliment. It can be a scathing insult. You know, it's, it could be so many things. Um, etymologically, the word special is related to the word species. When we're saying something is special, we're saying it's of its own species. It differs from the others in some fundamental way. Um, and to say that an occasion is special, we're, we're dividing it out from other, other times, as if that one time deserves attention and the other times don't deserve attention, you know, this sort of thing. Um, and so it's a very funny word. It's a word that at its very heart is about separation and division, um, which really kind of 
runs counter to what Buddhism is about. You know, Buddhism is, is all, you know, ultimately all the wisdom traditions are pointing toward a non-dual experience of some kind, you know, and, and making something special is, is very much moving in the opposite direction of that. I'm also intrigued by the, the, um, the aspect of heightened awareness. And this is, um, this is also contained in another connotation of the word. When we talk about, um, say, a novel or a poem celebrates a certain idea. You know, the poem celebrates, you know, time and nature. The novel celebrates, you know, life in the modern city. You know, this sort of, this sense of the word in which um, it's very much about elevating something with attention. Um, and of course, from the point of B- Buddhism, why would we want to, why would some things more than others deserve attention? You know, Buddhism, you know, very much has the, the, the teaching that all things deserve our attention. All experience is worthy of our attention. Um, and attention is a funny thing. Um, as, as I think I've said before, I view it as one of the, the, the fundamental insights of Buddhism, that there's such a profound connection between attention and happiness, that if I really want to have some kind of sustained happiness in life, I need to learn how to pay attention. Um... And it's also something I say that um, we live in a time with a a great scarcity of attention. Um, People are aware that they don't have enough attention. You know, we have multi-billion dollar industries, you know, advertising and entertainment industries vying for this commodity, our attention. Um, And so many, for so many people, I think there's just the the bare minimum kind of, you know, is someone paying attention or not? Just the binary is, you know, attention on or off. Um, and I think it's so important in our spiritual work to to become, as it were, connoisseurs of attention, to really pay attention to the qualities of attention, you know. I mean, much in the same, you know, you think of someone living at the subsistence level, all they care about is their food or not, you know. But you know, at another level, we're able to be discerning and appreciative about different kinds of food. Can we be appreciative of different kinds of attention, you know? Now, there's another use of the word that in, in, is very ancient, um, and it has to do with um, sacred activity. Um, and this is the sense in which the, the Catholic Church still uses the word. Um, it, it's very interesting. I, I teach at a Catholic school, and, and at the beginning of the year, um, the religion teacher was talking to the faculty, and he made the point that Protestants, Protestants have services, so they hold services or conduct services. There's some neutral word like that. Catholics celebrate Mass. That Mass is a, Catholic Mass is a celebration. Um, and the, the priest saying the Mass is, is called the celebrant. Um, and so that's very interesting, this idea that the, the occasion of the encounter of the sacred 
is a celebration. And a quote I want to share along these lines, this is a quote from the Gospel. So this is from the Gospel of Matthew. The disciples of John, John the Baptist came to Jesus and say, and saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skin bursts, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Can you do the old (laughs) wineskins? Yeah, it's funny. It's... This is very typical the way Jesus would use all these complex analogies in his teaching. Um, something, something of the nature of, uh, you know, what he was teaching was, as it were, new wine and had to be held in a new sort of container. There's also a quote, incidentally, from, from the teachings, the Catholic teachings of Vatican II, Christ is always present in a church, especially in liturgical celebrations. And so again, affirming the idea that the, that the liturgy is a, is a celebration. And that's fascinating also to think about, you know, all right, so, you know, we celebrate in the presence of the sacred. Well, where is the sacred? The sacred is everywhere. Like, all religions are very clear about that, you know. I mean, Christians will say God is everywhere. You know, Taoists will say the Tao is everywhere. You know, there's Buddhists would say there's no experience apart from Buddha nature, you know. And so the sacred is everywhere. And so it raises the question, why aren't we always celebrating the sacred? You know, and I think it's very interesting. We go back to the thing about attention, you know, giving some, giving one day heightened attention, if, we, if I give that day heightened attention, what does it imply about the other days? It implies I'm taking them for granted. You know, in some sense, that's the opposite of giving attention, taking for granted. Um, and I think it's so powerful to think about the things we take for granted in life. You know, you know, imagine... Imagine for the moment, you know, you went to the doctor. The doctor said, there's some horrible problem and we're going to have to amputate both of your legs, you know, this sort of thing. And, and for a few weeks you were walking around with the, oh my God, you know, I might lose both my legs. And then, you know, some miracle, you know, oh, you, you know, we get to keep your legs, you know, some miraculous operation. And, you know, it would be such a celebration just to be able to walk, you know. And so the question is, why isn't this a celebration just to be able to walk, just to be able to see, just to be able to hear, just to be able to have use of our hands or go to the bathroom without, you know, devices and machines being involved or whatever, you know? Um, And so part of appreciation and gratitude is about opening a celebratory aspect of everyday life, you know?
And again, there's, there's also this quality about attention. And I know myself that when, when I'm very self-absorbed and I'm not very, paying very careful attention, I live in kind of a gray, boring world. And when my attention is more vivid and I'm more present, then the world sparkles with interest. You know, the world becomes more alive when I start paying uh, more attention. And there's this incredible reciprocity between the quality of my own attention and the aliveness of the world I encounter. Um, And so it's almost that there's this possibility of using, you might say, the sharp knife of attention to cut deep into the present moment and really taste the marrow of life. Um, and so there's, some, there's something profoundly celebratory about that. Oh, and, and uh, Brett mentions Thoreau, of course. <laughs> yes. So um, at this point, I'll share the quote sheet. No Thoreau on the quote sheet, unfortunately, but one of his friends. Didn't Thoreau have like a marrow quote? Maybe that's why he said that, like to taste the marrow of life. Or... That that may well be. I'm not I'm not recalling the, uh, okay. the quote at the moment, but sounds like something he would say. Yes, <laughs> he was a vegetarian. <laughs> he was he? He was a Oh yeah. Oh yes. Not as he's tasting marrow. <laughs> oh. Uh. I want to live deep and suck the marrow out of life, said Thoreau. Yay. Thank you, Brett. Here's the, the quote sheet for the Zoomies. So at the top, I have the Bible quote, which you can read and ponder. There's, there's, there's always a way that Jesus is a kind of Zen master with the analogies he tacks on to what he says. And then, of course, you knew that Thoreau's friend, Papa Walt, would be on here somewhere. This is, this is from the opening section of Song of Myself. I celebrate myself and sing myself and what I assume you shall assume. For every atom belonging to me as good belongs to you. I loaf and invite my soul. I lean and loaf at ease, observing a spear of summer grass. Creeds and schools and abeyance, retiring back a while, sufficed at what they are, but never forgotten. I harbor for good or bad, I permit to speak at every hazard, nature without check, with original energy. He's like the most enthusiastic human being who's ever lived. (laughs) And certainly, I mean, just, he was a walking celebration, this man. From Abraham Joshua Heschel. People of our time are losing the power of celebration, Instead of celebrating, we seek to be amused or entertained. Celebration is an active state, an act of expressing awareness, expressing reverence or appreciation. To be entertained is a passive state. It is to receive pleasure afforded by an amusing act or spectacle. Celebration is a confrontation, giving attention to the transcendent meaning of one's actions. Uh, Pierre Villette in you know, Khan said, a little prayer on earth can ignite an enormous cosmic celebration. You know, and it's always, a, it's always fascinating. What are the dimensions of life that we don't necessarily see and, and how are our own actions, you know, what, what's the nature of the celebration 
you know, at the energetic level. Danin Katakari says, the important point is the spiritual life is not to try to escape your life, but to face it exactly and squarely. And in that, that uncompromising rigor, there is a sense of excel- celebration. A couple from Thich Nhat Hanh, Wholesome spiritual nourishment can be found looking at the blue sky, the spring blossom, or the eyes of a child. We can celebrate the joys that are available in these simple pleasures. He also said quite simply, because you are alive, nothing is impossible. A couple from Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh. Celebration of my attitude, unconditional to what life brings. And he also said, when you cry and weep, you are miserable, you are alone. When you celebrate the whole, the whole existence participates with you. Only in celebration do we meet the ultimate, the eternal. Only in celebration do we go beyond the circle of birth and death. Richard Foster says, celebration comes when the common features of life are redeemed. Sagil Rinpoche said, Sometimes I think the greatest achievement of our modern culture is its brilliant way is its brilliant selling of samsara and its barren distractions. Modern society seems to me a celebration of all the things that lead that lead away from truth, make the truth hard to live for, and discourage people from even believing that it exists. To think all this springs from a civilization that claims to adore life but actually starves it of any real meaning, that endlessly speaks of making people happy but in fact blocks their way to the source of real joy. Oprah Winfrey says, the more you praise and celebrate your life, the more there is in life to celebrate. And I, th- I think it's one of, not on the quote sheet, but I think one of the Proverbs of Hell from William Blake is the, 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 the thankful receiver receives a bountiful harvest. You know, this whole idea that gratitude is magnetic. John O'Donoghue said, take time to celebrate the quiet miracles that seek no attention. That one, that one is just, you know, and it's a wonderful, just a, a wonderful question to live with. What are the quiet miracles that I'm overlooking? You know, I skipped Barbara Kingsolver. She said, to live is to be marked. To live is to change, to acquire the words of a story. And that is the only celebrations we, we mortals really know. That one is deep. David Dieta says, every moment of your life is either a test or a celebration. (laughs) Mirabai Starr said, mystics seem to have no shame about contradicting themselves left and right. They blithely proclaim that the cure for pain is pain itself and that the cry of longing is the sigh of merging. That's because the path of, of the mystic reconciles contradictory propositions such as harrowing, sorrow and radical amazement and blesses us with an extended capacity to sit with ambiguity to treasure vulnerability and to celebrate paradox as the highest truth avis vishra says the human mind always pines for what isn't there it is scarcity thinking but all human progress in your happiness lies in the celebration of what is there in doing what is possible what you have this is resourcefulness That is abundance thinking. Cheerfully, fearlessly embrace this way of thinking, this way of life. Your happiness will never let you down. 
Craig Lunsberg says, we forget that without inches, we'd never have miles. Therefore, work toward the miles, but celebrate the inches. Something very deep there. And Annie Lee Mercury says, celebrate who you are in your deepest heart. Love yourself and the world will love you.